BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Bustle Huddle. I'm your host, Caitlin Aber. I know that we said we were going to take a break before season three, but with Labor Day weekend coming up, we wanted to release a special episode all about travel, especially when your cash is a bit lacking. This episode is for anyone who's ever scrolled through travel Instagram while laying in bed, dying of jealousy. For those of you who maybe didn't come from a family that traveled a lot and don't even know where to start, especially when it comes to traveling abroad. We'll hear from some of our most well-traveled editors on their top tips for making travel work on the cheap. I'll also talk to Emily McNutt, news editor at The Points Guy, about the secrets to traveling for less, or even for free. And we'll be joined by Kate Harris, author of Lands of Lost Borders, about how some of the most unique adventures can be discovered right outside your front door. But first, as promised, the bustle editors on how they save cash while checking off destinations from their bucket list. Okay, my number one tip for saving money while traveling. Only pack a carry-on and bring an extra bag with you if you do want to buy more stuff. Renting a place with a workable kitchen so that you can cook yourself meals and also pregame somewhere. I also recommend bringing as much food as possible. A ton of breakfast bars, like Kind Bars or Lara Bars. Bread so I can make sandwiches. Stay at a hostel, you might make some new friends. I definitely try to fly at like off hours. Hostels are nice now. They're not like scary murder houses. I'll fly super, super early or sometimes late at night. Always say yes to karaoke. This episode would not be complete without input from Alex Finkel, Bustle's Director of Editorial Operations, someone who's traveled to 68 countries before the age of 29 and is the person that everyone in the office consults before booking a flight. There are three main tips I have to booking flights. One, Use online services like Google ITA Matrix and Skiplagged. Skiplagged reveals hidden city flights that are basically itineraries with multiple legs where you get out of the plane um, before your final destination. So if you want to go NYC to North Carolina, but it's way cheaper to fly to Florida, um, but the flight just happens to stop in North Carolina, you can actually get out of the plane and then just not continue on your the rest of your itinerary for way cheaper. The ITA Matrix is software that runs with Google Flights that allows you to search everything from the airline that you want to the exact days, and it even tells you, like, how long can you stay in a place for exactly how cheap that would be. Two, set up a ton of email alerts from sites like The Flight Deal and Secret Flying. Connect those email alerts through an RSS feed, so anytime that one of those sites publishes a new deal, you get it straight to your email. You can also set up filters in your Gmail, so, like, if it says New York to... Rome, you can get all those highlighted and coming straight to your inbox while the rest of the deals are archived. Three, make sure you're using your points really smartly. Obviously, any credit card comes with some points and you want to make the most of all those. Turns out that you can actually go, let's say, NYC to Rome for the exact same number of points as NYC to Miami. So super important to make sure that you're using all the points to the best of your ability. 
Okay, so like we said, Alex is very much our unofficial travel agent here at Bustle. But we also wanted to hear from a professional budget travel expert. That's why we invited Emily McNutt, news editor over at The Points Guy, to visit the Bustle office and drop her biggest secrets for traveling when your bank account isn't so bountiful. So I wanted to know, like, what are your three biggest first hacks for somebody who's like, you know what, I'm going to, like, make this travel game happen for myself. What's, like, the first three things you would recommend that they do? I mean, first, no questions asked, is to make sure you're signed up for all of your frequent flyer programs, Um, especially domestically. We're talking Delta, American, United, Southwest, JetBlue, Alaska, depending on where you fly and with whom you fly the most. Because when you don't have those frequent flyer numbers, you're essentially missing out on cash that you could be earning. You know, points and miles are these unregulated currencies. So I would say that's definitely number one. They're free. They're easy to sign up for. Second, I would say to not be scared of credit cards. I mean, when I first started at TPG, I was very intimidated by the world of credit cards. I had student loan debt, which I still do, and I was afraid how my credit score would be impacted down the line. I now have 11 credit cards, um, which is kind of a staggering number. Of course, a beginner is not going to sign up for five credit cards. Probably wouldn't get five credit cards. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's totally a totally far off number. But don't be afraid to sign up for them if that's what meets your goal. And speaking of a goal, I would say my third tip is to have a goal in mind, to know You want to go to Hong Kong. Have that goal in your mind so that you know what kind of points to accumulate and therefore what credit card to sign up for. And especially with transferable points, which we can definitely get more into, are easily the most valuable, I would say. Transferable points, like transferring from one account to another or one airline? It kind of. Transferable points are really, really valuable because they really open up your options to how you use those points. So transferable points currency is Chase Ultimate Rewards, City Thank You Points, and Amex Membership Rewards are the three largest transferable point programs. Um, And essentially what they do is they all have... Partners, So airlines you might be familiar with or hotels that you might be familiar with. And one point in many cases equals one point for each of those programs. So say, for example, I'm earning one Chase Ultimate Reward point. I can then transfer that to any of its 13 partners. For example, Marriott's one of their partners. Uh, United Airlines is one of their partners. And Southwest is one. And it goes on and on. So you really have many more options as opposed to kind of pigeonholing yourself in just earning American miles or just earning Southwest rapid rewards points. So the, getting started seems like get a credit card with good a good miles plan, right? a good points plan. I feel like 11 credit cards would be so tempting for me. Like I don't yeah. feel like I would pay them all. <laughs> no, I have a huge uh, Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, I was wondering that, what your system was for that yeah. because I feel like that would be so tempting. How do you keep track of all of them? I feel like this is it would be nerve-wracking for me. Yeah, it, it kind of is. Yeah. And that's a huge number. And I will say that a couple of them I'm an authorized user on, meaning that I'm not the primary account holder. But for my credit cards, I keep track of due dates because that's really, really important. If you miss your due date, you pay a late fee, which offsets the value of the points that you've earned. So never miss a due date. And you want to try as often as you can to make sure you pay your bill in full. I also keep track of my point balances to make sure that there's no major increase or decrease 
in my totals, meaning if an account got hacked or something, I want to make sure they're all kind of in line. So I update that every month. And I think that's about it. Those are the major things, just name and kind of what points I'm earning. And if it, and if the card comes with any any status, so hotel loyalty status or airline loyalty status, if that card gets me anything, because I want to make sure that I keep that. But let's just say you want to take a last minute trip. Like, right. let's just say I'm like, you know what? I need to go away this Labor Day. Yeah. How can I like figure out good deals for yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, there are tons of tools out there that help you find last minute deals. My favorite is Google Flights. And a lot of people don't know that Google has a flights functionality. And it's by far the best. It's immediate results. You can search anywhere in the world. You get fares pop up within like one second. They have this really, really neat feature or function called Explore. You plug in your departure city. So for us, it's New York. You leave your destination blank and type in Labor Day. So you put in select your dates. And you can then scroll across the map. That's amazing. To find flights anywhere in the world for those specific dates. So in many cases, we end up seeing that a flight to Southeast Asia is far less than, say, going to, like, Kansas City. It's crazy. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's check wild. check that out. And one of the cool things about airfare now is that they're lower than they have been in decades. So you can really find some great deals, especially if you're flexible, right? So if I'm flying out of New York, maybe look at Philly, too. If you leave from Philly, you can sometimes save upward of 100, 200 bucks. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, take NJ Transit right over to Philly, and voila, you've saved yourself some cash just yeah. for being flexible with how you're searching for your flights. And what about travel friendly or budget friendly airlines? So those are kind of like the everyone's heard Curious. different things yeah. about them. You know, you've heard the horror stories, everyone's mm-hmm. heard the horror stories. I've had fantastic luck, though, knock on wood. Um, I've booked several. round trip fares to Norway. Wow. Love it. Um, And I've flown Norwegian, which is kind of one of those notorious low-cost carriers. Yeah, I had a a good experience in Norwegian. I feel like it's—I would recommend it. Yeah, but with those low-cost carriers, you have to know what you're getting into before you even step on board. Mm -hmm. So with bags, make sure you're not overpacking so you don't have to pay a lot in weight restrictions. So what is your favorite success story, a time when you were just able to do a trip for close to zero, if not totally free? So my favorite redemption probably to date is Emirates Airline um, in business class, which is one of the best airlines in the world. It was an $8,000 ticket from JFK to Dubai. And I got it by transferring my Alaska mileage plan miles. So Alaska Airlines, many people would think that, oh, that's domestic airline majority on the West Coast. Alaska miles aren't useful to me. That's totally wrong. Um, Alaska has a huge partner network, uh, one of which being Emirates. So you can use Alaska miles toward Emirates. So I transferred 82,500 Alaska Airlines miles to Emirates, paid about $70 in cash and taxes and fees. Amazing. Yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> I highly recommend it. <laughs> you guys. Uh, yeah. All right. So where are you off to next? Next, I'm going to Hong Kong in about 48 hours. Oh, my now. gosh. Are you ready? Kind of. You've got your all your clothes packed? No, not yet. I still have to do laundry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm psyched for you. Where can our listeners learn more about you and the Point Sky and stay on top of all your travels and adventures? Yeah, so you can go to thepointsky.com, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, The Point Sky, and myself, I'm on Instagram at mcnutt.emily and on Twitter at m underscore mcnutt. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emily. Yeah, thank you so much. 
Kate Harris's new book, Land of Lost Borders, A Journey on the Silk Road, documents her incredible adventure across Turkey to the Himalayas with her best friend Mel. Ironically, she now lives in an off-the-grid cabin in the Yukon Wilds and considers herself an explorer of her immediate surroundings. Kate hopped on the phone with our producer Anna to discuss her new book, as well as her current stationary philosophy on travel. It would have never occurred to me to hop on a bicycle in Western China. (laughs) How in the world did you and your friend Mel, how did you get the idea? How did you even know how to make it happen, the logistics? Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, so my friend Mel, we've been buddies since we were 10 years old, and she was always the kind of person where if you suggested some fantastic adventure, she would just be totally game. And she would say yes, and and she would mean yes. And it would be like going through the motions of making it happen immediately. I want to go back to how you prepared for that, though. If you didn't come from a family where this was like a regular part of your upbringing, how did you know how to prepare? I mean, that's a really brave thing for anyone to do. Yeah, no, my family definitely didn't do any of this kind of stuff. They always encouraged me to read whatever I wanted. And what I wanted to read was these wild adventure books. But I'd never done that kind of stuff myself until I went off to Carolina to university. And as part of the scholarship I got there, they send you on an outward bound course. So I I learned how to actually live in the wilderness and survive there, you know, with a pack of of essentials and translating that to a bicycle trip wasn't too hard. I mean, you basically pack what you would for a long camping trip, only it's on a, a bicycle. Mel and I didn't own bikes at the time. I think she was the first to buy hers, which <laughs> that was, was like, going to be one this of my happening. questions. Okay. So the, yeah. long distance biking wasn't even a thing that you had done beforehand? Not at all. Not at all. It just seemed a really neat way to get out to remote parts of a country that would be otherwise very difficult to reach. Like too far to hike, but no public transit going out there. Certainly no tourist infrastructure enabling travel. Tell me what you're up to these days and what your lifestyle is like years after your your big trip. Yeah, well, I feel like my wanderlust has gone pretty local. I live in northern Canada, uh, right up on the border with Alaska, southeast Alaska and the Yukon in British Columbia and live in a one room log cabin off grid. It's powered by solar and get water from the, the creek on the property. And there's endless potential for exploration just in that broader backyard, you know, the ratio of of humans to wildlife is um, appropriately skewed. (laughs) (laughs) I love I love the word appropriately skewed. Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So yeah, I 
I feel like the wanderlust has been translated into, you know, I want to know the seasons here. I want to sort of explore and place and have the world change around me and sort of flip ex exploration on its head. Because I, I feel like travel can, can feel pretty superficial after a while. I've been so eager to talk about this with someone. And then when I read your story, I was like, I have to talk about this, like, urge to see as many places, to check everything off your list, to just, like, move between, well, between borders. But if you move so quickly through the world, you're not able to actually see it sometimes. Absolutely. And never mind build relationships. Here lately, I haven't traveled nearly as much as I used to, and I prided myself as someone who traveled. Suddenly, I'm not. Suddenly, I very much stay in New York, and I am into exploring my local community. But yeah. I felt sort of left out of all these hashtagged adventures that I'm seeing on Instagram. <laughs> and I think a lot of people have that feeling. I think so, too. And maybe it's just a, you know, maybe you have to go through that really far reaching, searching phase of life to realize that ultimately it, it can feel pretty superficial after a while. And I certainly don't regret any of my travels. And I, I feel like I am who I am now because of them. You know, and there's value to being exposed to the, the strangeness of the world and to being reminded that most people's lives do not play out the way yours does. People have very different priorities all over the world. And that's refreshing. You know, it shows you what, what other lives are possible. So there's, there's value to even superficial travel. But I think after a while, yeah, I certainly crave contact and meaningful community. And I, I think it can also be more meaningful and more generative to live in one place and actually be committed to it. I was feeling very insecure about my lack of travel in recent years. And I'm just a girl struggling to pay her student loans in New York City. I don't have money to go down to Chile or, you know, like... I can't go to Guadalupe over the weekend. And so I think that the whole travel thing leads to discussions of just like privilege and class too. Absolutely. Yeah. To travel to such places, you either need a lot of money or a lot of time. Yeah. To do things really cheaply and slowly. Right. You know, working your way down, I don't know, by bicycle or hitchhiking, like you need a ton of time. And that means privilege because then you have, you must have some amount of money to support yourself. And then there's, you know, the huge imbalance of privilege when you're actually in these countries and you're around people that will never get to come see your country like it's very unreciprocal your your sort of exposure to people and their lack of exposure to your own place that's something um, i've never thought of before that you're going and observing people who are never going to be able to come and just observe you in your day-to-day -day yeah. life that's really it's really uncomfortable when you think about it and again i think there's such value to to seeing those lives. I studied abroad in Mongolia when I was an undergrad. And when I lived in Mongolia, you know, you see people living in yurts and animals are their wealth. And I mean, it's important to see other lives, but it, it is, it's an uncomfortable position to be in when you're, you're inherently privileged just by being able to go on these experiences. And then what do you do with that? Is it just self gratification that your curiosity that you were willing to look at something different? Yeah. Or, you know, is that going to translate into meaningful choices back home, uh, meaningful actions? For listeners out there who do consider themselves to be explorers, but maybe can't afford to travel or it's not possible for them right now, or even people who do frequently travel, but they still don't think that they're getting sort of enough out of their explorations. What would be your advice for them? Oh, maybe it's uh, the obvious answer, but yeah, I think I think books 
and art, you can have intensity of exposure to other lives on the world's right at home in different ways. And the arts give you access to that. You know, the arts startle you with their strangeness of vision. And you could go to an art gallery and have a more meaningful experience and more transformative experience than you would have if you hopped on a plane to some random place. And certainly, I think travel takes longer to have meaningful experiences, whereas art is sort of experience compressed. And I know in my case, maybe it's trying to make your own about what you've lived and seen. The bike trip on the Silk Road for me, I had no sense of its depth of impact on me until I spent five years writing about it, you know, trying to translate what I'd lived and seen and and sort of the emotional arc of that whole journey into a book. Okay, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. That's it for today. We've got another special surprise coming to you next week, though, so stay tuned for more. If you like what you heard today, please leave us a review on iTunes, tweet us with the hashtag BustleHuddle, or simply tell a friend to give us a listen. The Bustle Huddle is produced by Julia Shu, Michaela Heck, and Anna Parsons. I'm your host, Caitlin Abbott, and I'll see you next week.